fifth podcast with a uh, special guest host me drew hom and uh your regular host matt bells this is a, a very exciting episode for me as the site manager of the number one wisconsin badgers slash bravo tv blog in the whole world because we have joining us today former badger tennis star and current summer house star hannah burner thank you so much for joining us today hannah I'm so excited because anything Wisconsin I want to get involved with. So when you guys tweeted one of my old reporting videos, I said these guys have a good sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, I stumbled oh, across wow. that that uh, <laughs> that video just as I was perusing other things, and I was like, oh my gosh! So that worked out great. <laughs> yeah, it's the internet finds everything, and it's a good and bad thing. That is true. So just a, a little back those of you who don't know much about Hannah. She was the team MVP in 2013 for the uh, Wisconsin tennis team, and she was an academic All-Big Ten member in three of her four years on campus. Uh, As someone who was asked by the university to take some time off from school due to grades and never having played a sport more competitive than beer pong, that that is really impressive. So Hannah is a is now a reality TV star and the host of her own podcast, Burning in Hell, where she interviews reality stars and entrepreneurs who are admired for their good looks, massive followings, dream jobs, and luxurious lifestyles. But Hannah proves that we all have demons. That was uh, not my copy. That was written from uh, her, her podcast. So, <laughs> Hannah, let's start at the beginning on uh, on the tennis court. Mm-hmm. So you are obviously a phenomenal tennis player. Um, what was it like beating up on people of all genders back when you were younger? I know you were featured in ESPN and, and on the New York Times at different occasions for, for your accolades and everything that you did on the on the tennis match. Well, first of all, thank you guys for doing such amazing research. Um, you guys, yeah, you did your homework. I Some people like on my podcast and they're just like, why did you pee in the hot tub the whole time on Summer House? And I'm like, okay, we could talk about that for an hour, which is equally yeah, we'll as fun. There. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, I grew up um, training with guys a lot of the time in Brooklyn, New York. And then once I got to high school, the school I went to didn't have a girls' team. So legally, Title IX states, if you don't have a girls' team, a if a girl's good enough, um, you have to let her try out, at least to make the team. And it caused a lot of controversy. And I was kind of in a – I don't know. It was a weird place because tennis is not like football. It's not physical. It's its really, really mental. And in my head, some people were like, this is a lose-lose for guys to play against her because if, you know, they win, they beat a girl. If they lose, they lost their girl. But for me, I'm like, like I'm training every day playing international tournaments. If I lose – to this guy who just plays during the summer and, like, smoked weed all day today and just showed up on the court, like, I'm going to be pissed. Um, <laughs> but it it was a, 
the fun part about um, me playing for the boys team is actually when I left, I obviously caused drama because that's what I do in my life, and it's 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 been beneficial for me um, on television, thank God. But <laughs> I went to the University of Wisconsin, and then they the public school athletically granted my school um, money to start a girls' tennis team that my dad ultimately coached. So it all kind of went full circle. It was a beautiful, you know, time for sports in New York City and tennis. Uh, Cool. Uh, I didn't know that your dad coached uh, your high school team after after you left. Um, yeah. So if, if you were if you were still playing tennis and you were uh, doing so professionally, what would be your ultimate tournament to win? U.S. Open. <laughs> I grew up. As a hometown girl. Yeah, I grew up. Um, we played high school matches. Um, at the National Tennis Center, and you just see Arthur Ashe Stadium, and you see it. We see it in the downtime, which is just like kind of sad and quiet. And you know, the second the U.S. Open comes, it becomes alive, and um, and you become you feel like a rock star. And I think I always wanted to be a tennis player because I love the performing aspect and seeing that like one person could play a match for like three hours. And like when you lose, it's the worst feeling in the world because you can't blame it on your teammate. Um, for <laughs> or blame it on anyone else. It's just you. You can't call timeout. You can't pass the ball. So it's one of the most fulfilling sports to win, but one of the most brutal sports to lose. <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely true about tennis as an individual sport. Um, you know, kind of talking about Madison, you, you talked about your affinity for Madison. Mm-hmm. What drew you to, to come to Madison for college and to play tennis? Great question. So my mom was actually – went to Cornell and she really wanted me to go to Cornell and Cornell was is a great school but I went to um in tennis you play in these tournaments before in your junior year and coaches come watch you and I remember I had like a bunch of coaches lined up to see my match and I just like crumbled under the pressure like a cheap beach chair I just folded and I was double faulting and I was just playing terrible I remember the Notre Dame coach walked by watched me for like five minutes and it was like the worst tennis I've ever played in my life it's just like so much pressure and I had just recovered from an injury on a really bad ankle injury and I wasn't feeling like my best and then I just remember going back to the hotel and being like I ruined all my chances like the whole point is you want to get a full scholarship so then the next day I had a doubles match, and um, this girl who I was playing doubles with told the Wisconsin coach to come watch her play. And I'm from New York City. I knew of Wisconsin like as a basketball team kind of, but I'm not going to lie. I did not know where it was on a map. Um, I did not – I've never been near Madison. Um, I didn't know – I didn't know anything about it. But this coach, we ended up beating one of the top teams. We played incredible – um, I guess my head was in the right place during doubles because I was a little less pressure on me because I didn't even know the guy was watching. And he called me after, and he was very specific. Like, I really like this part of your game, that part of your game. I can see what we can improve on. I love your energy. I'd love to take you on a visit. And I had a visit planned for – I went to Cornell. Then I had a visit planned for Wisconsin, I think Michigan, and then um, UPenn. And I went to Madison – and there were four other girls, and we knew there was one spot. And after the visit, they watched, like, one more tournament of me, and they called, and they said, if you want the spot, it's yours. And I remember sitting down with my dad at a Korean restaurant and, like, talking it through, and I was just, like, 
um, I want to go to a big sports school and I'd rather get a full scholarship and be treated like a professional athlete and have a whole new culture and eat a lot of cheese and drink a lot of beer. And the facilities were unreal. The energy was unreal. And I just, I kind of took a risk and was like, let's go to this new town that I've never been to, but has so many good things that I've heard about it. Yes. There, excuse me, there are a ton of good things about Madison. Uh, were you ever called a, a Coastie while you were in Madison? <laughs> you know that I was – I have a lot of fun facts for you guys. I was actually in the music video, Teach Me How to Bucky. Do you remember okay. that music video? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> I do. I was in yeah. that video. If you watch it, I was friends with Quincy. I think my roommate was, like, hooking up with him or something. We got in the video. Um, but I – I, there's the Coasties and the Scotties. I actually wasn't called a Coastie, I think, because I was in the sports. I don't know, like, the, the athletes were treated a little different, and I, like, didn't live in the towers. Um, so I kind of – I feel like all the athletes were – a lot of them were not from Wisconsin. There were a decent amount, but we weren't categorized. We were just considered, like, the stupid athletes. <laughs> Sure. I, just as a Coastie myself, I was wondering how what your experience was like. I I lived in uh, the old Og before it uh, got torn down, so I was kind of not thought of as a Coastie either. So it's it's nice when you yeah. integrate yourself into Wisconsin culture. I came in as I went. I was in Witty, and then um, I lived in Grand Central, and I lived in 420 across from Equinox, and then I finished living in this little, oh, I also I lived on Mifflin one summer. I also lived in a little, you guys are, oh, this is so nostalgic. I'm, like, getting drunk just saying where I lived. <laughs> um, I also, I lived in a little shack my last two years above Karaoke Kid and the Chinese restaurant. <laughs> Oh, and I, was, I, I lived in this little bedroom that was only the size of my bed. So to get into the room, you just jumped onto my bed, and my clothes were just hanging above it, and I was paying about three hundred dollars a month. So that was Amazing. my glamorous Amazing. lifestyle. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Uh, we we were actually going to ask about that because uh, I know for me, you know, Drew had talked about that he lived in Og. I, I lived in Witty as well, oh, and nice. I, I graduated as, around the same time you did. Um, as as thirty somethings. Um, so, did you have any roommate mishaps or drama that you had to um, intertwine yourself with or get out of? I did. <laughs> oh my god, this is so bad. Um, I actually I had a roommate who was like a rugby and soccer player from Alaska, and like there was just like lots of weird drama with like the soccer girls were having drama and somehow like I kind of got involved because like some of the soccer girls were talking shit about my roommate and I was like kind of agreeing with them and then she overheard it and the soccer girls told her and she thought I was talking shit we just needed a camera and it would have been a great reality tv show um but then we made (laughs) up ultimately but she was like definitely a big character and I'd never I was, she's from the smallest town in Alaska, and I was from New York City, <laughs> and it's not that, yeah, we just were so different, and I ended up, like, staying at one of my tennis girls' apartments a lot of the time that year, um, but we have a lot of respect for each other now. We moved on. Um, I also did have roommate drama with um, one of the girls on the tennis team. We kind of, like, we got in fights, because um, there was, I feel like with the athletes, we were always 
struggling to for the they called it like the triangle of like your social life, school, and sports, and it was known that you could only have two of the three going well. So I found when like my tennis and my school was going great, my social life was in the shit. Like I was either like fighting with people or like had no attention from guys. Um, but if I was like getting attention from guys, my school was suffering and my tennis was good. <laughs> or like so yeah, it was a, a very hard balance and I, I'm playing tennis I mean we had the worst times also our gym we worked out at um, about 6 30 a.m every morning so like basketball would roll in at like 8 39 and we'd be like you fuckers because um, <laughs> we just didn't have the best workout times so it wasn't priority because we weren't bringing money for the school and I was and then every weekend we're traveling and in the spring when it's our off season it's not off-season. I mean, sorry, in the fall, it's not our off-season. We're traveling for individual tournaments, so we really never get a break all year. So, yeah, it's fun. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds fun. On the rare opportunities where you did have a break and you got to spend a, a night out on the town, what uh, spot would you hit after bar time for late-night food? Oh, wow. Obviously, Ian's I really liked. Um, I would get the... The macaroni and cheese. Also, my friend worked at Herbert and Gerbert. Is was that is that still around? Do you remember Herbs and Gerbert? I don't think it's still there where it was, but I do remember Herberts and Gerberts and and everything there on the corner I used, there. I used to go and they'd have like a it's like a subway, but they'd have this peanut butter and jelly sandwich that was like cake, and then I would get a chocolate milk. And just I would just pass out and take like a three hour nap after, but it was like <laughs> full on dessert, dinner, lunch, breakfast, all in one. Also, my favorite post, like we would wake up early and train, and then we would at like by eight a.m. we'd burned like two thousand calories, and we'd go to Mickey's, and we would order the scrambler, a chocolate vanilla milkshake, and um, and pancakes. And anything else that was, like, a special. And the waiter always would give us shit and be like, do you know how much food you're ordering? We're like, yeah. Once I ordered a cheeseburger as a side dish, like, I was burning so many calories. I also was 20 pounds heavier in college, but it was, like, all muscle in my thighs because we were lifting so much. (laughs) God, I wish I could do that. That sounds great. (laughs) Yeah, it was was glamorous. (laughs) Um, Kind of keeping going with here with uh, Wisconsin – uh, what was your favorite sports moment that you experienced as a fan? Wow. Okay. Um, I remember I was there when David Gilbert caught. Um, he had the um, punt return for a touchdown. Do you remember that against Ohio State when Ohio State was number one? Yeah. When yeah, David Gilreath returned. Oh, the, sorry, David the, Gilreath. Yeah, the yep. kickoff for a touchdown. Yep, that was that was a monumental moment. It was incredible, and I was I was watching the game, and then I was at the game, and Ohio State is, like, red also, and I just remember going on State Street after, and I love sports because it's the one time that you could, like, full-on curse out grown men, and they can't get mad at you, so we were just running down State Street trying to, like, curse out and be like, you guys fucking suck, eat shit, fuck you, as that's how, you know, in Madison we um, show our passion. And we were, like, getting confused who was the, was the Badger fans or the Ohio State fans because <laughs> everyone was just red and we're all so drunk. And we just, like, we love that. And then 
also, um, my last year when I was doing some sports reporting, I they just, like, put me on a random early men's basketball game, and it was when Frank Kaminsky ended up breaking, like, the single-game scoring record that Michael Finley had previously had, and all the people around me are freaking out because it's, like, an important report, and it was, like, the fifth one I'd done, and I was just, like, say, single-game scoring record, single-game scoring record. Like, it was hard to remember. <laughs> and I interviewed Frank, <laughs> and you can see the YouTube as I'm interviewing him, like, um, Sam and all the other guys just, like, started jumping on him as I was interviewing him, but I have so many great memories, and I also, I was, like, I was really good friends with Mike Brzezowitz when he was there. Do you remember the afro? The oh, yeah. afro or whatever. Sure. <laughs> it's so funny. He would always try to make out with me, and once he, like, gave me his jacket when we were walking to the KK, and then he asked me for it back, and that's, like, one of the most romantic times I had with him, but he was, like, a really good friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a real charmer that bruise away yeah, keep in touch he's in Europe playing or he's been all over the place playing so outside of the KK what were some of your other favorite uh, watering holes on campus you know life was we we would compete every weekend so Sunday nights we'd go out and we had the same season as the hockey players and as you know the hockey players love the KK so before I was of age, sorry anyone listening who's a cop or whatever, um, <laughs> I'm going to get reported. Our only goal was, like, how do we get into the KK? And you'd have to – it was, like, Fort Knox. Like, we'd have to figure out how to go through the kitchen. But if it was too many of us, like, we'd have to wait for, like, another guy to come. And, like, it was just – it was – it was more fun trying to get in than actually, like, the second you get in, it was incredible. But the second I turned 21, I had no no motivation to go to the KK. <laughs> um, I also, oh, my gosh, I also did love comedy on state. I went to a couple shows there. I remember getting heckled because, I'm not heckled, I was just got shit on by the comedian because they were like, we heard the Wisconsin football team is here because we were sitting with some football players. And I was like, the tennis team is here too. And they were like, sit down, it's not a sport. And I was like, no. <laughs> so, and afterwards, he came up to me and he's like, I actually really love tennis, great sport. And I'm like, thank you. Um, little did I know, I actually booked my first show to perform on Comedy on State. It was supposed to be like May 5th. But it all got it got canceled. But I will be on comedy on state. I'm telling you, it'll happen. That's what we have heard. Uh, I was actually going to talk about that later uh, on in our interview because I had seen my wife, uh, who is an is an avid summer house watcher, uh, saw it uh, online. Like you said, oh. you can find anything on the internet. And she was and her and her friends were texting. They're like, they, we've got to go. Um, and I think it's in October, right? Yeah, it potentially. Got, yeah, it got postponed, and now. I'm trying not to get too excited about it because I really don't know when comedy clubs will be actually a place that people will feel safe to go in. So hopefully by October I'll be in in Madtown. Um, All right. Um, so obviously Madison is known for its college bar scene. Um, I, I know you, you had kind of talked about the KK. Um, you, you, some of your castmates on Summer House definitely enjoy a good party. So, <laughs> so let's play a little game. Okay. Uh, take your summer house castmates and match them with a UW bar. All right. <laughs> so, for example, Kyle, in my eyes, would make sense to be Mondays because he has a propensity to blackout 
and they have strong drinks and overall sloppiness late as the night goes on. Um, you know, I think you could you probably have a better idea of where to place him, but that was one that came to my mind. A hundred percent. My brother actually was in DU, um, so I like would get a taste of kind of the frat scene every now and then from my younger brother, um, and he lived a def- very different lifestyle than I did on campus. Um, oh yeah, and then Mad Hatters was across, right? I have to like remember Mad Hatters was across the street from Mondays. Do you remember Mad Hatters? Yeah, oh, I remember Mad Hatter. Okay, I um, and then then there was like that fancy place. Um, this is just gonna be me trying to figure out names of the place I went drunkenly. Um, Would it be better if we gave you names? Yeah, to, give to me give me names and I'll connect them all. All right, so so Wando's Wando's, yep. you've got like the fish bowls. Yeah, um, chasers, yep. chasers. Um, yep. uh, you have Mad Hatters. Um. Drew, I think you have a couple that you definitely want to share. I mean, I I, I used to work at the City Bar on State Street for a oh long time. Uh, is that where they what? have the strawberry vodka drinks? Yes. Oh, yeah. It was so good, the City Bar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, Brons. and then, what was the one where they'd have, like, martinis? The um, Blue Velvet? Blue Velvet, uh huh. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. You guys, I haven't thought of these things in years. And then also, where's the one? Oh, I always used to get rejected from one of them. It was kind of new. Never mind. You're crying. Anyway, um, so we have Bratz, KK, Blue Velvet, City Bar. Okay, I can match these with cast members easy. Um, Blue Velvet, Paige, for sure. She wants a martini. She wants a good lighting for an Instagram photo. They had like that blue lights and stuff, and it. I remember my friend would, like, order Belvedere, and I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, <laughs> I think Wando's is definitely – I think Amanda. Amanda's actually really silly and, like, loves to party and just – I could see her with the Wando bowl. Also, do you remember – was it Big J or J-Bob? He was yeah. the – Yeah, J-Bob. J-Bob, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's crazy to me. I, I'm a – I am uh, not considerably, but I am definitely older than both of you. And J-Bob was in my dorm freshman year of college. And it's amazing that people still know who he is. That's why. I mean, he definitely had a big um, impact on the culture. I also know that he was, like, always so tough because, like, when we were underage. And the second – it's just the, the funniest moment when you finally give them your ID and you're like, it's my birthday, I'm 21. They're like, you've been coming here for four years. What the fuck? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then he was nice to me. He was really nice to me. I just remember the bacon, too, was so good. Um, okay, so Manda's Mondo's. Chasers, I'm going to have to say Carl. I think it's kind of like um, – it's pretty fratty, but it's not, like, as fratty as Mondays where I'll put Kyle. Um, then Luke, I'm going to give – I have to give Bratz because it's just, like, so – it was, like, owned by, like, one of the Wisconsin hockey guys, I think, or who's related to them. And it just seems like we'd watch all the Packer games there, and Luke loves Bratz. Um and then City Bar, I think, is definitely Lindsay and Danielle because it's, like, kind of a scene, but it's not as fancy as the Blue Velvet. And then your girl's going to be at the KK talking to all the athletes. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm forgetting one, two, three, four, five. No, I got them. Got them all. And I actually liked Mad Hatters because there was games, so I'd play games there, and I knew one of the bouncers. I A lot of went by, like, what bouncers you knew. I once, like, 
was, oh my gosh, this is just me rambling about my drunk escapades, but I, no, go, go ahead. I had dated one of the guys on the football team for like six months. It wasn't real dating. It was like, we were seeing each other for six months. His name was Brendan Kelly. I don't know if you remember, Brendan. Yeah. It's huge. Um, sure. Another Minnesota guy. Minnesota, yeah. Luke was not the first Minnesota guy. I, I was going to say, you've got, you got a type here, huh? I do. I do. <laughs> Minnesota guys have, like, really fun personalities. Um, I guess Minnesota's big, so it depends where you're from. But, yeah, um, Bruzewitz is from Minnesota. And after dating him, I was like, I need a break from athletes. So I started to date one of um, the mascots. <laughs> I dated a bucky. <laughs> Because the Buckies would work out with us, actually, in the mornings. The cheerleaders and the Buckies would work out. And one of them worked as a manager at the KK. And he knew the hockey guys. And they were just, like, so silly and fun. And whenever I'd see a Bucky, I'd, like, wonder if it was him. And I would, like, smack the Bucky on the butt and see how it reacted. Nowadays, you can't do that stuff. But back then, that's what we did. And, um, yeah, I dated the Bucky for a while, which was fun. And um, not a lot of people can say because they're only like eight buckies. It's pretty. It was pretty tough actually. This spot. That's exclusive crew. Yeah, it was a whole culture of um, mascots. And they were busy. The did he ever let you? Did he ever what? Did he ever let you wear the costume? I wore the head once. Um, it's hot, and they these guys party, and then they're hungover as shit. At football, doing the push-ups, it seems terrible. And they're very busy. Like, they'll have, like, a library thing they have to go to and, like, an ice cream opening and, like, a local, you know, high school football thing that they're making an appearance for and a charity thing. These guys were booked insanely because they're, like, mini celebrities. Uh, Funny story uh, aside here about Bucky's. I I lived in the Badger house uh, with with a group of guys, and – one, it, it's there's not a lot of I think there's like four uh, apartments within there, and somebody was must have been a Bucky because they left their Bucky costume uh, in the dryer, and uh, it took every ounce of uh, of patience from me and my roommates to not steal that because we were like, well, we'd be screwed because all they they'd figure it out that it was one of us, um, but we were we were very close to getting drunk and taking that. <laughs> I mean, that's just. There has to be a rule. Like, if you leave the Bucky suit unattended, people <clears throat> need to wear it <laughs> and take photos. Yeah, that's on whoever left it there. That's not on you. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. funny that the school is so big, but, like, speaking, we have such similar memories of, you know, the school. Yeah, and it was also so hard to be at such a party school when, like, it was so hard to party until we were 21. Um I had I also had like fake IDs where I had IDs of other people and then I dyed my hair platinum blonde the end of freshman year cuz I was going through an identity crisis and had to get all new IDs of blonde <laughs> girls <laughs> and it really was a pain in my ass <laughs> So now that we've we've uh, broached the topic of summer house mm-hmm. let's combine that with your tennis experience, how is the dynamic similar between being on a tennis team and being in a house with a group of people on reality TV? Good question. I think both situations are a lot of pressure. I mean, I'm being for summer house. I'm being thrown into um, a friend group that has a lot of drama, 
and whatever happens is seen on national TV. And I feel like um, being on a tennis team, there was a lot of drama in that we had to compete against each other all week to earn our spots for that weekend. So, like, there never was a break of just being like, I'm good. Um, The second the weekend was over, you're playing your teammates again and earning your spot. And there was constant drama with the people you're playing against and traveling. And there are just so many van and bus rides of just doing things like you don't want to do, waking up when you don't want to wake up. And (laughs) I think that all the pressure I dealt with, like, playing Duke and, like, do second serve, it's three all, and I'm playing for the the winning point. Like, that's pressure to me. So I think that going on Summer House, even though it is a lot of pressure, I found it as way more fun pressure of just, like, being myself. There's not a winner or a loser at the end of it. Um, but it is a game. Reality TV is a big chess game of um, everyone is, you know, trying to kind of come off a certain way or, or have their brand shown or just survive and um, that was college tennis. It was survival of the fittest, fittest, and it was emotional and physical. And Summer House is emotional and physical as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of continuing on with, with Summer House, back from the beginning, how did you get started with Bravo and Summer House uh, to start? I know you had some coworkers, but is there more to the story? And, and who is the second best tennis player on the show? Great question. Um, I got started – well, after – it's actually the University of Wisconsin that really – I that got me to go on Summer House. Because, and how it's connected is – you wouldn't think it, but my – I was there for four and a half years, and I had a scholarship the first four – for the whole time I was there. But if, I'm, if you're not playing your sport in the last semester when you're completing your courses, you have to give back to the university by, like, working at the library, um, working at the Cole Center. And I was – reached out to the athletic department communications um, director, and I said, hey, I would love to do some sports reporting. So that was all in my last semester where I was a communication arts major. I knew some editing, but I couldn't do, like, the actual film um, focus because you have labs that were, like, four or five hours, and it couldn't coincide with tennis practice. So, like, I actually couldn't study some of the things I wanted to because of tennis, but I had enough editing classes that I, like, knew how to edit, and then – they said, yeah, if you want to start doing some interviews, sure. So I would watch the women's basketball game. I would take notes. Um, I would do a voiceover, and then right after the game, I would do a quick interview, and then I would edit it within, like, an hour for that night. So there was, like, pressure, and I would I would do it every night. And it was so fun. And then I realized I wanted to be a sports reporter, but I wanted to go back to New York City. I didn't want to start in a small market. And, like, the key to being a sports reporter is starting in a small market. And I just wanted to go back to New York City with my family. And I was kind of lost after tennis. I didn't know what I was doing. I did sales. I did marketing. And then one day, I was working for a T-shirt company, like, basically doing customer service and social media for them, but mostly customer service. And one of my Wisconsin videos popped up, and I was like, I miss video. Like, I want to be involved in video. So I basically quit my job and started working for scout.com for like a free internship where I was helping just give them, they're like a um, sports college recruiting website. And I was giving them like facts and stuff and doing menial tasks. And then Betches is this media company that was looking for a video producer. And my friend who I had met like through tennis actually 
said, hey, try out for this. And I was like, no, they want five years experience. This is insane. And I was, I was knew I was like silly and funny, but I never thought that I could like be a professional at it. <laughs> so I, I sent them a funny video. They called me in. They said, you have no experience, but we'll start you freelance because we love your ideas. And then fast forward, I ended up interviewing the Summer House cast when I was working for Betches. And I met them, and we'd seen them around town. And then when they were recasting, my name was thrown around as, like, an outgoing person who knew the cast and is, like, not afraid to be on video and stuff. And then they casted me. (laughs) And it really started from just wanting to get back. I basically, like, I know – I really believe in, like, manifesting what you want to do, as in in two – from the second I decided to quit my marketing job, I said I want to be in video, and in two years I was on a national television show, and it's insane, but it shows just, like, when you're doing something that you really want to do um, and you really believe in it and you don't have, like, a plan B, like, the universe listens to you sometimes. So that's my story. Did Did you have any reservations at all about going on the show? I think I did. I think if it was, I'm not one of those people that ever wanted to do reality TV. Like, I've never applied for The Bachelor. Um, I've never applied for an MTV show. I I think because it's Bravo, it was kind of more well-respected, and I love Bravo. I grew up watching it. And it also kind of fit my normal life, which is I grew up in the city, and then in the summer I would go to Shelter Island, which is a place in Long Island, where I would play tennis, I would golf, I would relax. So I didn't party in the Hamptons, but it was based, they wanted like a girl who was actually from New York City. And I told them, I said, look, if you're looking for a hot mess, I'm not your girl. Turns out I am. But I was like, at the time, I was like, I'm not your girl. I want to show, I want to show that women could be like sporty and funny and leaders. And I'll be open about like depression, anxiety. I'll be vulnerable, show that like, you know, it's to be perfect, whatever. And it ended up being this, like, kind of wild journey, but ultimately, the reality TV is not like how it was before, where you're just on a show and that's it. Now we have our own social media where we can then tell people, hey, if you like us here, come to my comedy shows, listen to my podcast, and I've been able to get exposure for me to do what I actually want to do, and I wouldn't have able, been able to do it without Summer House. Yeah, and I mean, you get you also get a lot of perks being on uh, summer House, I mean, you guys throw some fantastic parties. Uh, for example, 4th of July is always a wild one. Um, but quick question here. There's a lot of people that come to these parties. Yeah. Are you all actually friends with them, or did they just, like, how does that work? It's it's our real friends because it would be weird <laughs> if it was, like, paid people because then, like, the energy would be really weird. And also it would be weird if it was just, like, random like people who are like super fans watching the show like that wouldn't go over well so it's yeah, actually that showed pretty, up and got really weird and creepy yeah so it, it's actually pretty organic we're like we all invite about like 10 or 15 people but it's hard because not all our friends from the city are out in the hamptons but then like th- some people will invite friends of friends so as long as you like know someone and sometimes we're really strict where we give names and stuff but because there's been, like, weird instances where, like, people will steal stuff or, like, people just get way too drunk and, like, fuck up our bathrooms and stuff. And it's it really is, like, throwing, like, the parents are away. So we throw a party and then we're like, damn it, everything broke. 
<laughs> parties are really as one party there were like two ambulances some girl locked herself in a closet um there were goats one of the camera guys broke his arm like it was just insane holy shit well that sounds like a good party That's yeah awesome. it was a great party that was kyle's birthday he was very proud of himself yeah <laughs> so so uh this is when i i told uh a number of my friends that I was interviewing you, they all wanted to know if, if you and Luke were still chatting or hanging out. <laughs> yeah, Luke and I, we got into, we actually, after season, like, we kept seeing each other until about, like, November. And then we all, we both, like, started to see someone else, and then we, like, reconvened and started talking again. Because we actually have, what we people didn't see during the show is that we'd hang out all during the week, and that's why each weekend, like, I think our relationship was progressing, not necessarily that it was going better or worse, but it was, like, definitely moving in some kind of direction. And then the show started airing, and it actually started some drama. Like, we were re-watching, like, some of the shit he did and the shit I said, and we started, like, getting pissed at each other right before the reunion. And during the reunion, we had gotten into, like, a, a text fight, and I basically was like, stop talking to me, I'm sick of you. And we fought during the reunion, everyone was all upset. But then he called me after, and... And we're still in this kind of complicated place where, like, we care about each other, but he's not in a place emotionally, I think, yet to, like, date. And I don't know if he would be the right guy for me to date, but he calls me every day. So, I mean, something's happening. Huh. Yeah. I, as I, I currently live in Minnesota, so I was, I've been looking for him to ask him these questions myself. But, uh, <laughs> where are you yeah. in Minnesota? <laughs> I, I live outside of Minneapolis in, uh, in Plymouth. But he hasn't shown up. He hasn't shown up in my neighborhood, which is the only place I go. So. <laughs> yeah, I love Minneapolis. Has he, a great town. Oh, the Twin Cities are awesome. Has Has he sent you any maple syrup yet from up in his cabin? Nope. And that was a big thing because he said he would on an Instagram live, and everyone was like, "He loves her. He's gonna send her maple syrup." And I said, "No, he won't." And then I asked him my podcast, "Why haven't you sent me maple syrup?" And he said, "Oh, I don't remember telling you that." And I said, this is why men can't be trusted. <laughs> I, I could have told you that I a while ago. Maple syrup to any <laughs> um, one thing, lover boy, it's the can is everywhere in the show um, for, for a lot of various reasons. Are you sick of drinking it yet, or is it even good? I personally like that we had it because – normally like we have to provide all our own alcohol and stuff i think it's like a legal thing so he was just letting us drink it the whole time so i was like thank you i do think like i don't love that like every episode we have to have an update on how many cans they sold but i mean they're hustling and i think it's amazing that they've created something out of nothing and anyone in the show that like has created something through the show i'm so proud of um but, yeah, you don't, obviously don't want the show to start centering around, like, a can of alcohol and what's happening with the cans. Um, but <laughs> but I support them. I just ordered their newest spritzer, and I, I can't wait to try it. Um, do you know when it will come to the Midwest? I think that you can order the spritzers online, which is, like, their new one. But I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. I used, Yeah, I'm not sure about Loverboy, the, the tea. Bummer. Well, we'll be on the lookout. Uh, <laughs> Hannah, how have you managed to be the only girl on the show to not make out with Carl? Oh, it's actually not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> <Burn>. <laughs> I 
know, Carl and I, I think from when, like, we first met, he was one of the guys that I interviewed at Betches, and I just, like, made fun of him the whole time because he's so fun to make fun of. And um, I kind of see him as just, like, a brother, and I never had, like, any sexual attraction to him. Um, and I think he's scared of me, and he should be. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Scare him a little bit. But also, I, I don't like making out with guys that are making out with my friends. It's, like, not my thing. So I don't – I don't know. Yeah, I'm not into it. He's been tarnished the second him and Paige kissed. I never – even before that, I wasn't into it. But afterwards, for sure. Like, anyone Paige touches, I see as, you know, Paige's – Paige peed on him, you know? And it figured <laughs> figuratively. <laughs> it's good to specify that, yes. <laughs> um. How is Watch What Happens Live Clubhouse with Andy Cohen? Uh, what's, and what's he like uh, in your experience? Great question. I So the first time I ever did Watch Happens Live, I was the bartender with Paige for when Kyle was on. She kind of fucked up, but it's okay. We were It was our first season, so we were just supporting. And he had just had a kid, so me and Paige, I was like, Paige, let's buy the kid some, like, a really cute outfit. She buys some, like, $150 outfit for, like, a newborn. I don't know even where she found something that expensive. And oh, we go up to him. They sell those? I, apparently. This, I mean, New York City, you can find anything. It's, like, people like things that are more expensive. Like, it knows something you don't know. Um, so <laughs> it was, like, right before he had to go on, he's, like, signing books and, like, you know, talking to his producers. And me and Paige go up to him and we're, like, here, this is for your son. And he kind of was, like, a little frazzled and kind of did, clearly had no idea who we were. And I was just like, thank you, and, like, looked right through us. And we, like, walked away. And he, like, put it down, and we were like, he hates us. Andy Cohen hates us. Um, that was my first experience with Andy. Um, yeah, he didn't really say anything else <laughs> after. <laughs> but then I'm actually best friends with his assistant, um, Darren Karp, who has some great podcasts, too. But And I didn't want to, like, push it and be like, tell Andy – to watch Summer House and to know my fucking name because we're going to be best friends in the future. So I've just been calm about it. But then I actually got asked to be on Watch What Happens Live with Lindsay, which is the ultimate, like, fuck yeah, I've made it in Bravo culture, right before the pandemic hit. So New York City closed <laughs> down the day after, and they go, yeah, you're going to do a virtual Zoom with Andy and um, Lindsay. And so I did a Zoom with Andy, and he was so sweet, so funny. I made him laugh, like, twice, which was amazing. I think about it every day. And he's just, like, a, such an icon of pop culture, and it's and he's a great guy. That's awesome. So and he's very hardworking. Like, he definitely, like, is running whatever bullshit he runs with Bravo, plus he has a SiriusXM channel, plus he has Watch Albums Live every night, plus he has his son. He's just, like, a hustler, so I have a lot of respect for him. And then for a while there, he was, like, doing stuff on the Today Show, but he was also still doing Watch What Happens Live, and it's like, when do you sleep, man? No, and I'm one of those people who love sleep, so I just, I don't know how he does it. Yeah, so, uh, it's crazy. <laughs> so kind of, as we're, we're, we're closing in on, on wrapping things up, in addition to, you know, doing stuff on Summer House, you have your own podcast. We talked about your stand-up. Did you always kind of think that you wanted to be involved in, you know, comedy or making people laugh or entertaining people in some way? You know, my whole life, since I was eight years old, I wanted to be a professional tennis player. Like, when I was younger, I was very goofy. I was creative. I liked to write. Um, I was always very silly. 
But I really put all my energy into tennis because it's like a full-year sport, and I was very committed. Someone when I was seven years old told my parents that they said my daughter wants to be a professional tennis player, and they said she's too, like, old to start and and make it. And apparently I cried. At seven? Yeah. Apparently that day I cried the entire day. I wouldn't leave my bedroom. My parents were like, what is wrong with their psychotic child? And I made it my mission to just, like, go pro. And by 16, I was I played some professional tournaments. I ultimately decided to go to Wisconsin. And after four years, like, to be good, you have to have, like, no plan B. And I literally up to senior year, I was like, I'm going pro. And then during um, – right before the um, Big Ten, I got hit by a car, actually. <laughs> at like 6 a.m. in the snow walking to weights and it like I still had a good season but it definitely was like a sign I felt like where it's like Hannah <laughs> do you even like this anymore like who are you trying to prove what are you trying to prove and I quit tennis I just I, I was burnt out it wasn't making me happy anymore and also going pro is not like going pro in football where if you go pro, you get put on a team, they pay for your travel, they pay, obviously, your coaches, they pay for your physical therapy. Tennis, you're an entrepreneur. You only get paid when you win. So it's like, it was going to be, I thought I could make it, like, top 500 in the world, but you don't make money unless you're, like, top 200 in the world. It was just, it was an endeavor that I was like, you know what, little Hannah is disappointed, but, like, this current Hannah has, I felt like there was more to me. And it took me some years to discover it. And then once I started working for Betches, um, this media company, it was like kind of like a female locker room. We just would like make – I would make tons of memes and I'd write tweets. And then I started dating a comedian. Um, and he kind of showed me this world where like you can just make people laugh and get paid for it. And I thought it was insane. But um, it just kind of naturally happened from there that I – um, I was able to build my podcast and make a lot of great relationships with the comedy scene in New York City. And just I've, every day I just kind of want to create. And as long as I keep creating each day, I feel like my my career is going to just grow. You know, you, t- you talked about, you know, you had this vision of yourself ever since you were eight, and now that's shifted completely, I, I guess, because you got hit by a car, essentially. Um, but how is, how is that been for your parents like are they like gung-ho what listen to every episode of your podcast and everything my parents are so gung-ho I think it's because they were I was coached by my dad when I was younger and they were so invested in my tennis and then there was a point where I was like I need you guys to step back and like let me do me but this comedy thing has been all me and my parents people are like what do your parents think about you getting drunk on tv and making out with guys or whatever the hell you're doing my parents really are just so supportive in that they just want me to be happy because they've seen, like, the ups and downs of tennis, which was, like, a, I basically had a whole career before this um, that was had a big impact on my family. Like, there was a lot of money involved. There was a lot of pressure at stake. There was a lot of emotions dealt with every night when, like, my dad's my coach after a bad match. So my parents now are, like, just so proud that I'm doing something I love. They listen to all my podcasts. They watch all of Summer House. And they're just, they have a great sense of humor, and um, they've been really supportive, but also, like, let me do my thing without any judgment. That's that's what parenthood's about. I know Drew is a, a father of some some lovely little girls as well, so, um, uh, but here, lastly, a yeah, little plug. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
lastly, a little plug again for your stand-up coming on in, in October. Um, you know, for people who love Bravo as much as my wife does, they probably are going to want to check it out. But for people who aren't as familiar with you, what can they expect in your humor? I, I think they get a glimpse of it here in our discussion, but, but anything you want them to know about your humor or who you are? Yeah, I think my humor is a lot of um, – I am silly. I do call things out that I, I feel like a lot of people are thinking but are afraid to say. I talk a lot about the dating culture. Um, I definitely think that my stand-up – I tell a lot of stories of that are embarrassing to me and my um, being single and learning about myself. Um, I'm 28 years old, so it's that interesting age where, like, you've lived a lot of life, but you still have no fucking clue what's going on. Um, Great. Yeah, so if you're, if you're, if you like kind of goofy, you, I kind of, I consider myself like a little bit Chelsea Handler, a little bit um, Amy Schumer maybe, but not, not quite as, I don't know, I, I, I'm kind of just myself, but um, those are two comedians I really look up to, but I think it's, if you read my tweets, um, you can kind of tell the kind of sense of humor I have. Also, I don't know what jokes I will be doing by that time because um, it'll be a weird, interesting time, but I can assure you that it will be um, a good-ass time. <laughs> There's Fair a lot enough. of energy and a lot of positivity and a lot of shit-talking. Uh, Drew, any other questions you have? No. Well, this was awesome, Hannah. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. Yeah, no, it was awesome. You were a tremendous uh, interview. Um, but that wraps up another episode here at Bucky's Fifth Podcast. We'll be back on our normal schedule of recording here in the coming days, covering Wisconsin's ongoings on the cr- recruiting trail, and then Tyler and I are going to continue our player profile series. Um, beyond that, if you like what we've been doing, make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Feel free to leave a question as well with your five-star rating, and we'll definitely answer your questions in the coming episodes. And always, on Wisconsin. Thank you.